This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Welcome back to the Short Code Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. It's the show that it's like a power wash for your insides. I've been waiting to say that for a little while because I just love that little that little tagline for a for a product. I think we should. I think we should incorporate that. Sounds like something for a colonoscopy. Or mm. <laughs> I, yeah, usually used for uh, you know Facebook ads that want you to go and read some article about the one thing that cardiologists would like you to take out of your diet. I don't. I don't know what's going on, on online these days. On today's show, it's MDs versus PAs. A little fight to the death. What are their respective education paths like? What are the different kinds of opportunities available to them in their careers? Who's better at love today is the day we find out because I have two MD and two PA students on hand. In the left corner are PA students Stephanie Robertus and Terry Hayes. Yeah. yeah, thank you. <laughs> and in the right corner, MD students Emma Barr and Katie Christel. Hello. Hi. Did I do that right? Crystal? Crystal. God, yeah, Crystal. I mean, it was close. It's not like you didn't tell me before. It's okay. <laughs> uh, no, I, this is this is not a fight. We all love each other. This is, uh, but I, I do want to sort of get into the comparison and con- contrast between the two careers because uh, a listener a while back got in touch, and um, I wish I could remember or find the email that the listener sent um, so I can say thank you properly. But thank you anyway. Um, uh, well, I can't. Turn your question into a robot voice. Know that I appreciate you sending your idea to the shortcuts at gmail.com um, so that we could talk about it. All right. The MD profession, ancient, right? Um, in fact, MD is the abbreviation f- not for medical doctor, but for the Latin medicini doctor. Um, the physician assistant professor, on the other hand, was created in the 1960s in response to a shortage of physicians with the first class of PAs graduating from Duke University in 1967. So really not that long. Um, those four people had been Navy hospital corpsmen in uh, the Vietnam War era. And for full disclosure, um, as I've said on the show before, my father was a physician assistant among the first in the country. So I kind of have a little soft spot for, for you guys in the, in the PA program. Um, so let's start real basic here. Most people know what a doctor does, but perhaps fewer know what a physician assistant or PA does. Uh, one of you want to sort of give us a uh, definition of a physician assistant? What do you think? Let me take it. Sure. <laughs> All right. Um, so, um, like we talked, we've talked about a little bit before, but a lot of the things that you hear that physicians can do, prescribing medications, seeing patients, treating patients, diagnosing patients, ordering tests, things like that, physicians can do. Um, one of the common differences in a very state to state that you'll see um, is the level of supervision, supervision that a that a physician assistant or PA needs um, when in their practice or depending on what they're doing. So that's kind of the basic foundation of what a, a PA does. Right. And there are some things that PAs are excluded from, like a PA cannot become a radiologist. Um, that is still limited to the MD profession. And PAs cannot be surgeons. They can be surgical first assists, but they can never actually go into an operating room and lead a surgery and be the one calling all the shots. Yeah. It's definitely a, a team-based approach. It's right. not like the physicians. Physicians can work by themselves, and but PAs cannot. But it's 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 a team-based thing. And so you'll see PAs working with physicians in clinics, um, in the hospital, and things like that um, as part of the medical team. So, like same idea as a, like a nurse practitioner. Um, is that uh, similar roles? Yeah. I, I, I would say um, different in educational philosophy, mm-hmm. but a mm-hmm. lot very similar in what they can do as practice. Though one major difference I would say between PAs and NPs or nurse practitioners is that nurse practitioners can practice independently, so they can open their own clinics, whereas PAs cannot. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I, I I read an article on Kevin MD 
that was like, stop calling nurse practitioners, and I assume also PAs, mid-level providers. Um, are you guys okay with the term mid- mid-level providers, or do you think that this is a, a slur on your, on your uh, profession? I mean, the argument was, by saying we're mid-level, it just puts doctors above us, and, you know, we're, we're just as cool. Um, I mean, I feel like, like doctors do have more education and they're the experts in their field. Like physician assistants do not do a residency most of the time. And if they do, it's just one year generally. So I personally don't really have a problem with it. Like I realize that I, like when I finish my education, I will have received less education than an MD and that I'm more limited in what I can do. So I don't really take offense to that term, but I think that it is confusing, like, I guess for people, like if they look at like a nurse or medical assistant, like kind of the different hierarchy of the healthcare professions. Um, I know like the clinic I used to work at actually changed to, instead of saying mid-level providers, they started saying advanced practice professionals Mm -hmm. or APPs instead Mm -hmm. to kind of mitigate that. But I like that. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot. I think a lot of people, or the reason why some people get offended by that, is because they think it contributes to this air quote stigma yeah. that advanced pr- practice providers um, do less or can't do as much as physicians. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think w- because oftentimes if you go different parts of the country, different people will ask, or when you when you check into your appointment, they'll say, "Well, you're going to be seeing our PA today, our NP," and someone will say, "Well, what is that? Can you tell me more? Of what is that?" And some PAs in those areas might get offended based off of the amount of work that they actually do. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why some people get offended, but I don't see no, anything it, wrong with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't doesn't I don't think it's a reflection on the amount of work that people do or the even the amount even the amount ultimately of education one gets. Um, in the long term, because ultimately, you know, medicine is a lifelong learning profession. And so you're going to, you're going to be learning things your entire life. You know, it's like, not like you stop. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I think our colleagues across the table from us would agree. I mean, we're doing for these first, this first didactic portion, we're doing the exact same work yeah. as them. It's not like we're doing less in this portion than they are. Right. So well, let, let's talk about that. I'm here at Iowa. You guys uh, share a path in the beginning, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. For the what? first three semesters, but I think you guys have a summer we, semester. Yeah. yeah, we do have a yep. summer semester where we do a little bit different. But mm-hmm. um, So the first three semesters, you're all taking the same classes together, mm-hmm. learning the same basic science stuff, um, in some cases probably catching you up um, in the beginning on the things that you didn't have as undergrads or before you came to to um, medical school. And that is unique to the University of Iowa as well in that right. we are the only program in the country, physician assistant program in the country that takes all of our classes with medical students as yeah. well. Yeah. You, you, I mean, I think that seems kind of cool. I, yeah. I like it, yeah. That was, I don't want to toot our own horn here <laughs> in the Short Code Podcast, but uh, it seems kind of like an interesting idea to sort of keep everybody together, sort of develop that. Mm-hmm. working relationship, I guess. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's, we would probably agree. That's one of the reasons we picked the university over several programs we interviewed at is primarily because of that integration, because we're going to be working with these physicians in the future. Um, it's not like once we graduate, we're going to be doing our own separate thing. We're going to be working with them. And so why not start now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and it pushes us probably a little bit further than what we thought we would get at another program, not to put mm-hmm. another program down, but just for us, the, the standard was raised right like one of my concerns in choosing to go to PA school was like oh like I won't go to med school and learn everything they're learning I'm going to miss out on important stuff and going to the University of Iowa I feel like I can be confident like okay like everything that the MD students are learning in the didactic year I get to learn that as well even if I might not you know, like radiology type stuff. I'll never be a radiologist, but I still get that experience of looking at the radiographs and just like the MD students do. Like the histo stuff that we're doing now. We won't (laughs) do much with that, but I mean, we're getting it. And I think it's beneficial to our learning. Mm -hmm. So, And um, I'd just like to add that uh, being a a medical student here, I think we definitely benefit from having the uh, PA students in our class because there's a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. that we can learn from them. Um, They often have, 
years of experience in the healthcare field. So they're really good with patient interviews like day one. We're sitting there like, how do we talk to this patient? How do we approach this patient? And that's not true of all incoming uh, med students, but most of the time, I mean, the amount of hours that the PA students need um, even just to apply to a program, um, it it really shows like. Yeah, that's really interesting um, because you guys need a shitload of hours <laughs> to get into PA to get even get into PA even to get an interview at PA yep. school. Mm-hmm. What what is that number? At most programs I'd say it's roughly a thousand hours minimum. Yeah. Um right. but that's the average for our class I think was right around thirty five to four thousand, thirty five hundred to four thousand hours. So. How many yep. do you know how many years that would be like full time? I think it's close to three, two, three, two, three. two to four, roughly, somewhere around there. And yeah, do you think most of people accumulated those through having other jobs in healthcare? I mean, that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think you're required to have direct patient care experience. So it has to be a job in healthcare where you're working with patients. I mean, it's not like talking I, to patients. Yeah, and, I mean, it's not like shadowing or something. Right. No, right. no. That, right. For this program, that didn't count. I know for some other programs that, that can't count. But for us, that was one thing that they were very clear on is you need to have direct contact with the patient and your experience, whatever it is. And not that you have like a high level of responsibility. So there were things like nursing assistant, um, medical assistant, phlebotomist, um, radiology tech and things like that, that you could used to get experience working with patients. I know at some programs you can be a medical scribe, even though that's not like hands-on. Could you, do you know if Iowa allows that? Um, I don't mm. think anyone in our program was. Mm-hmm. I don't want to speak for anyone, but it, I don't, I don't think talking so. To people, I don't think there were, but um, yeah. I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if it were n- not eligible mm-hmm. to be used. So, so you've got that, um, so you've got those thousand or thirty five hundred hours. Um, you've got your uh, three and a half semesters um, plus uh, summer for you guys. Three and a half semesters for or three semesters for um, UMDs, and then um, the MDs go off into the clinical portion of the curriculum. Um, there's a little less of a division these days. Um, a lot of programs are integrating the preclinical and the clinical years to some extent or another, but that's it's kind of a uh, dividing line there at 18 um, months into the curriculum. What do MDs have to do um, after they go into the clinical curriculum, generally speaking? And they've got another two and a half years yeah. of clinical stuff. So we have one year of like required um, rotations, and I think that includes like is primary care, OBGYN, surgery, psychiatry. I'm not sure of the other ones. And then after that, we take step one. And then after that, we get... the board exam. Yeah. Um, the first board exam that mm-hmm. you have to take. To- and it's like important for your residency applications. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, I think we get like elective time to do things like we're more interested in and we start applying to residency programs. Yeah. So how does that compare to the PA path? So when we start our clinical year, we will have one year of rotations and we also have to go through the main specialties like primary care, internal medicine, OBGYN, um, and those each last, I think, six weeks. And then we do have up to eight weeks total of electives that we can choose from. Mm -hmm. Um, After that, we will all kind of reconvene on campus and we have to take the PANTS, which is the Physician Assistant National Certifying Exam. And after that, then we can either apply for our PA residency, which would be like another year to 18 months of training or just start applying for jobs. Mm. It's, I mean, all in all, it sounds like the length of the path is similar. Um, it's just different things um, at different times. Like, I think yes, like, I, I would say I would more say so no. like what's, <laughs> I would say what's involved like that first our first our 28 months, essentially, you guys do in your three and a half years. And then you guys are doing that fourth year where you're applying for residency. So mm-hmm. for the, at least here at Iowa, we do that year and a half of didactic together. Mm-hmm. We do the same like one year of core clerkships that we are all assigned mm-hmm. or that we'll go through at some point. And then after that, then you guys continue on mm-hmm. and then we can either go into practice or residency, like Stephanie said, or, um, I, mean, I guess that's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I wasn't going so far as to say that the residency process was 
part of that because then there's a whole nother thing that you guys do after mm-hmm. after med school that continues your education where you're sort of a hybrid student slash employee um if you factor in like the time you guys did for your hands-on clinical experience it kind of seems like it turns out to be the same amount of time mm-hmm. yeah i mean it just depends on how yeah. you look at it i guess right i think the biggest the big difference for me is that physician assistants after graduating can start working right mm-hmm. away and do not have to complete the residency, mm-hmm. which I think the shortest MD residency is three years. Yeah, yeah. the minimum so, one is three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's also not including fellowships, which are right. also becoming a lot more popular. Um, so mm-hmm. you could have minimum of three years of residency and plus uh, fellowships on top of that. So I think that um, can lengthen. And, and um, as Stephanie said, uh, MDs can't practice after graduation. We have to do yeah. residency. Right. Um, so that's, I guess, one of the key differences there. Mm-hmm. MDs have plenty of um, specialties and subspecialties to choose from. Um, so what are, you, what are you guys thinking about special? I know it's early. What are you guys, what are you guys tossing around at this point, um, MDs? Um, I'm really interested in family medicine with OB, mm-hmm. just because I have experience working in a community health clinic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And right now I'm currently thinking of surgery like some sort of surgical um, subspecialty, but I'm kind of keeping my options open as to which one. But you guys, what kind of opportunities do you have to pick a specialty that you will work in? Yeah, so for the most part, PAs can work in pretty much any specialty or subspecialty in family medicine, surgery, internal med, psych, whatever you can think of. There are a couple of limitations because um, it required it requires more from the physician on that um but i guess i mean that's kind of actually one of the nice things about um being a pa is the versatility of it so you're not necessarily limited by a not that you guys are limited in any way but um, limited by like the specialty or residency that you choose and so the um, the neat thing about the pa profession is that we can switch to a different specialty at any given point in time um so if you start in family medicine one year and you decide, okay, this really isn't for me um, because we didn't get that long to actually, you know, decide what we wanted to do. We didn't get that extra fourth year to kind of figure that out. Um, <clears throat> we're kind of doing those things on the fly. And so um, if you try family medicine out and you're like, okay, I really, that's not really for me, then you can try a surgical subspecialty at any point after that, as long as you can get a job in it. Hmm. All right. So we've sort of covered the, uh, you know, how it works. Now I want you to discuss which is more better. <laughs> <laughs> We're all team. I know. Yeah. Which, which is, I guess what I'm at, I guess what I'm really asking. Really pitting us against the <laughs> other, huh? I guess what I'm asking here is, is gets to the heart of the listener's question, which is how does one decide mm-hmm. which one they want to do? I mean, why did you choose PA over MD? Did you just want to be MDs, did you just want to be in charge of other people? (laughs) PAs, did you, you know, just want a free and happy lifestyle devoid of residency? I mean, what was, what was your, what was the, what were the things that made you decide to go with PA versus MD? I mean, surely you can, you guys considered MD. Oh, I, I was planning to go to med school for three years or so. Yeah. And surely you guys considered PA, unless you were like one of those people who's like, no, she, (laughs) Katie. (laughs) Um, I've, I've always thought surgery. So for me, um, med school was pretty much the path. path. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's interesting because sir, I also want to go into surgery and that's the reason why I chose PA school. Mm -hmm. Um, I had planned. So originally when I wanted to go to med school, I thought, Oh, I'll go into internal medicine, be an endocrinologist. Um, then I started working in internal medicine with a doctor who did a lot of endocrine issues. And I realized like, I do not like this. Like (laughs) in theory, it's all interesting, but, um, that was not really my thing, but he also did, um, like vasectomies, circumcisions, anything hands-on. I realized I just gravitated towards that. And that's what I really wanted to do. But by this point in time, I was 24 and I was thinking like, well, I would have four years in med school, five year residency, mm-hmm. fellowship on top of that. And just kind of thinking about like how old I was going to be when I was actually going to start paying off my loans. Yeah. I was like, well, you know, I really enjoyed because my role with this physician was assisting him. And a lot of times he would kind of let me take the reins and I I just really enjoyed that role. So I could see myself like having a very fulfilling career career as a surgical first assist. So I didn't feel like 
I necessarily wanted to be a surgeon. Mm -hmm. And so that made PA school much more appealing to me. Yeah. And I kind of in the the same boat, I went through, through the application process for um, medical school as well. And um, I, I think for me, again, a big part of it was age. By the time I got to around actually applying and, and going through with the whole process, I was 24, 25. And so um, looking at what I wanted to do, which is, again, surgery similar to um, the other people at the table, um, I realized that, again, four years of school, five to six years of residency, plus uh, thinking fellowship, too, um, that down the line, I have a little one at home now, too. And so that's something that's very important to me is my family and being able to um, spend that time with them and be around them yeah. as much as I can while I can. And that's not to say that MDs don't have that luxury. Mm -hmm. um, well, I just think like comparing the two on the scale, it is very tough, yeah. but comparing the two on the scale, um, I think the general consensus is that PAs have a little bit more time mm -hmm. um, because of the little less responsibility that comes with our job yeah. um, in terms of not being kind of the, the end all be all like the buck doesn't necessarily always stop with us, yeah. like yeah. you guys. So, uh, for me, like I started out college thinking I wanted to do something in healthcare, but I didn't really have any good example, not good, but I didn't have any examples in my family or close people to know like what the different roles were. Um, so I started out saying I was pre-med, but then I met a bunch of pre-med students and I was like, wait a minute, I don't like you guys very much. <laughs> <laughs> Just be calm. She was pre-med once. <laughs> she was potentially that person that she didn't like. Yeah. No, wait, this story gets better. Um, so I kept going through undergrad and I was like, I'm just going to do things I like. And if that leads me to medicine, great. If it doesn't, that's okay. Um, so I came around to my senior year and kind of had a little crisis where I was like, I'm graduating in six months and I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and I was in this physiology class with a bunch of pre-med and pre-dental students. I was like, oh man, this is going to suck. But then I liked them and I was like, wait, like I'm one of you. <laughs> I always have been. Um, so anyways, I, that's the point when I found out about like PA profession and I went back and forth between MD and PA for like six months. Um, and then like to find out more information, I like listen to podcasts and I watch a ton of YouTube videos and that's really embarrassing. But if when you don't have any contacts, it's kind of like, what do you do? Mm -hmm. I ended up did shadowing quite a bit different like PAs and nurse practitioners. Um, and I was going back and forth and back and forth. And one day I just got on the bus and like one of my roommates happened to be there and she could tell that I was like really stressed about this decision. So she was like, okay, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Just answer like off the top of your head, just go with what your gut says. So I don't remember the questions exactly, but she was like, Red or blue? Blue. Lunch or breakfast? Breakfast. MD or PA? And like MD just came out. And so <laughs> usually I'm like really slow to make decisions, obviously, because I thought about this for a long time. Um, and I have to like analyze every single yeah. detail. But at the end, I just kind of had to go with my gut. And like, I think that's like if I had had a family or um, like was a little bit older, I probably would have done PA and would have like I think either profession I would have been really happy with. So. I mean, adding, adding to that. Um, so I guess. Similarly, I went to a school and um, I'm from a family who, well, so like my family doesn't have anyone in the medical field or the healthcare mm -hmm. field. Um, my dad's librarian. You know, I just didn't have exposure to much um, until high school. I started liking science, thought, you know, let's do pre-med, see how that goes. In college, I went to a small liberal arts school where I was one of a handful of people who was pre-med. Mm -hmm. And I ended up being the only person who applied at my school um, to go straight through. So I really didn't have much exposure. I mean, I was from a small town who didn't really have PAs. We, they had nurse practitioners and, um, MDs or DOs. So knowing that I liked the more procedural things, uh, gravitating towards surgery, you know, I kind of thought one of my only options was to go to medical school. So I, I guess if I would have had, I have no, had, had, I have known more of the options that are out there, um, being in a bigger city in a bigger hospital, um, you know, I, I might've seriously considered PA more. I mean, especially since I am thinking more surgical, I am aware that there's a lot of years that I have to go. Um, I am married, uh, and kids are something that is on my mind. Um, and it's, it's something that, uh, I went to a panel recently on, uh, women's women surgeons and, uh, from the university. And they actually said, you know, like there's never, there's never a great time, but also we're not the only profession that has, has to deal with this. Um, 
um, you know, trying to start a family and having long work hours, having a lot of responsibility. You know, you look at um, law students, you know, that's a difficult path too. There are, are other professions and, you know, there's n not necessarily ever a good time. And I think Terry could speak more about that. And also like, it's, you know, it's, there's definitely more challenges, um, being a woman and being pregnant yourself, but also, you know, becoming a father in any of these trainings is mm -hmm. also very difficult. I mean, we had a student who, um, his wife had their kid the first day of our classes. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> that's not, that's not, you know, that's definitely mm -hmm. difficult too. I feel like that's mm -hmm. the most ideal. <laughs> no, the way, so the way they'll that, be like, cause they'll just, you know, like the powers that be will just be like, well, that must've been a total accident. Okay. Like you didn't plan that shit at all. <laughs> yeah. The way we like came to that decision was we were like, okay. Um, again, like Katie alluded to, there's never a good time to have a kid. So we were basically like, okay, um, the ideal time for us would be, at least for me, from a studying standpoint, would be, okay, let's get this baby sleeping through the night. And so most things that we read, we read a ton of books, would say that um, you can get your baby sleeping through the night it, anywhere between 8 to 12 weeks. Again, every baby's different. That's not always going to be perfect, but we're like, okay, let's go for it and see what happens. And so it ended up happening, and our baby was born in May, and then she was sleeping through the night by 8 weeks. So, perfect. <laughs> what were you drugging that baby with? <laughs> a little Valium spray for his, for his baby. Um, and one thing I do want to add to about why we chose the PA profession, I don't, I don't want like pre PAs that are an undergrad to be turned off by the PA profession because of age. Oh, yeah. Um, because there are multiple people in our class yeah. Yeah. that are 22, 23 fresh out of college as yeah. well. Mm -hmm. And they have their various reasons for why they chose to be a professional over MD. Because a lot of us, I would say probably 50% of us had looked at the MD profession or DO profession at one point or another. And so they landed on PA for their own reasons. But again, so you, you don't have to say, Oh, well, I'm, um, if I don't decide by the time I'm 24, I'm going to go be a PA. Yeah. So. You know, if there's one thing I've learned yeah. doing this show for so long is that there is no particular path, really. Um, a lot of people come to, I mean, there's, a, there's, there's some milestones that you have to hit, but a lot of people come into this, into either profession, it sounds like, from very different directions, from very different circumstances, mm -hmm. from very different, even like very different GPAs. I mean, you know, it's like, you know. Determination is a is a big part of um, making it through this process and even beginning this process. So, mm -hmm. don't get worried by any you know particular stories we ever tell on the show. It's just, <laughs> it's just about getting there. You know, adding to the age thing, we also have um, med students who are in their forties mm -hmm. starting out. So that's yeah. not even the oldest we've had. We no. we did a show not long ago with some. Uh, graduates of the MD program who began in their late forties mm -hmm. and, yeah. you know, people my age. Yeah. So definitely you know, can be done. Yeah. When you look on the website and you see average ages, 24, 26, whatever it is, that's exactly what it is. It's yep. an average. It's not yep. what you need to be to start a program. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. not it at all. What about earning potential? Did you guys even think about that? Or, I mean, and be honest here, because I know it's probably tempting to be like, oh no, I do not require uh, worldly <laughs> possessions <laughs> for I am a creature of knowledge and light. No, I want to know, like, did you really not think about it or did you think about it? I thought about it in terms of like, if I go to medical school, I'm going to have a lot more debt, but I'm going to make more. So I'll be able to make up for it. Mm -hmm. Whereas like PA school may be a little bit cheaper because it's shorter, but make a little bit less. So I don't know. It seems pretty even to me. I don't know. Yeah. The, the Not earning even. to debt ratio yeah. there, there's a, there's some website that breaks it all down by the time, um, a PA has been practicing for 10 years versus the time um, an MD or gets out of a residency because you're not making a ton in residency and you mm -hmm. still have all this debt that's accumul accumulating interest. Mm -hmm. And so um, compared to what we'll be making, because it's, I mean, it's not like we won't get paid that much. We will actually have a pretty good salary by the yeah. time we graduate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so comparing that to the amount of debt, again, it, it really balanced out. It really didn't factor in for me, I, at least. That's another thing. I think, People focus a lot on the debt issue um, for, and, and how can you not for, for the, for MDs, but yeah. ultimately speaking, you know, it's going to be all right, yeah. you know, so <laughs> you might as well not like make that 
the biggest part of your calculation. It doesn't sound mm-hmm. like anybody here has has done that. I mean, there's tons of loan forgiveness programs or different things that you can agree oh, to. Oh, my friend, go listen to our yeah. most recent show. <laughs> well, then you might want to go check even that out. So. <laughs> um, so, yeah, as, as you uh, mentioned before, um, doctors are often seen as the captain of the medical ship. Um, does that mean that uh, PAs are the lieutenants? Um, what happens when, I mean, what kinds of, go over in more detail, what kinds of decisions PAs are allowed to make versus the kinds that they must, um, leave to MDs. You want to talk about that? Sure. Cause you worked in a yeah. clinic with PAs and MDs. Right. So you so got to I, see both sides of it. Yeah. I worked in a family medicine practice for four years before coming to school. And I worked with a lot of PAs and MDs and it was really interesting. Like, in the family practice setting, there weren't really any decisions that a PA could not make. Um, of course, like if it comes to interpreting an x-ray, like the PA does have to wait for the radiologist to <laughs> interpret it. But that kind of goes like, that I makes mean, sense. all the medical right. doctors, all the family practice docs did that too. Yeah. Um, I One thing I noticed was that like the PAs were much more... Like they, they ask for help a lot more often and not like asking for help, just like asking for other, other providers input or input. Yeah. Mm, they would a lot of times like hang out at the nurse's station and just be like, Oh, Hey, Dr. Kessler, what do you think about this? Like just getting different, like different opinions on things. And there was never any sort of dynamic where it was like, Oh, they had to go ask the doctor for permission to do something or like, mm-hmm. it didn't feel like a power struggle at all. Like you were saying, Stephanie, it definitely goes both ways. We had a, a, a panel during PA week where there was a, um, a topic of um, MD-PA relationships. Mm-hmm. And there was a PA who had been working in Pete's pediatric cardiology for 15, 20 years. And he had seen a lot of different things, but a lot of the same things. And so a lot of those things that he had seen that were similar he was able to make judgment calls on those. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times he didn't need the sign off of a, of a physician to, to verify his findings essentially. Mm-hmm. So he, again, he was able to order those tests um, and make a diagnosis based off of those things that he had seen previously. And so it all comes with experience. Yeah. And I think MDs would say the same thing. Like they, mm-hmm. they consult other specialties, other professions. And I've seen, I've seen it multiple times where again, at that panel, the MD said, there are some things that like I haven't seen in a while that I might go ask the PA colleague about. So again, it's, it's a team healthcare is a team based thing. And I know it's kind of cliche to say, but Again, you might have an MD or PA that goes to the inpatient unit and talking to a nurse about a specific patient and the nurse might give something that that MD or PA provider didn't know previously about that patient. So, again, it definitely goes both ways. Something I noticed working, um, I was also working in family medicine with PAs and MDs and a nurse practitioner um, with like certain like it was specifically Suboxone Mm. like training. The MDs only had to do like an eight hour one day training, whereas nurse practitioners and PAs had to do an eight hour training and like 16 hours. No, they had to do 16 hours training and then 32 more hours on their own to prescribe the same medication. So just like a little bit more hoops to jump through. Also with like... I think sometimes that has to do with bureaucratic nonsense more than <laughs> yeah, more than anything else. Yeah, and it might depend on the state too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Like I know like the PAs in Colorado can prescribe Schedule 2 substances like right, right. oxycodone. And then I did work in Texas for a while and there, and there PAs could not prescribe any Schedule 2 substances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it just kind of yeah. varies like state to state what the, the freedoms are. Um, medicine is also a business and while private practice is becoming less common these days, there are many private practices do, and in private practice, usually there are MDs sort of who are partners in the business. Do you have any idea whether PAs are also often partners in these businesses? I think they can be. Um, I, think, I mean, I don't know why that couldn't be. Uh, I don't know if there's yeah. a regulatory issue there or not. Um, I, I don't see why there would be an issue with that. I think. Yeah. Um, Does that hold an interest for you? It doesn't sound like you guys have thought much about it at this point. But no. Yeah. Um, I mean, if something... there's like um, year in bonuses or all these, you know, things that 
are eligible because you have a buy-in, then yeah, of course I want right. a piece of that pie. Um, right. Because again, um, again, I'm not going into it for the money, but if I can get a little more money, yeah, because of that, <laughs> Daddy needs uh, plasma. Yeah, you know, I, I have a, a, a daughter, right. and the things that I've heard about little girls as they progress through the years, I'm okay. You, yeah, they you, do age. <laughs> yeah. So, yep, they'll need an iPhone at some point. Yeah. <laughs> iPhone, what, 20 will be out by yeah. the time she's... Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I hope we've given our listeners a good idea of sort of the the way PAs and MDs work together, um, the respective paths that they can take, at least a little bit of a, a little, little taste. Um, you, can you guys think of anything else we should address before we move on? I think if somebody's trying to decide between the two, they should definitely shadow and like talk mm-hmm. to a lot of different people because some PAs in like a per- certain profession or a certain specialty will say one thing, some MDs will say something. So like just get a lot of perspectives before you decide. Mm-hmm. And also just look into the different programs because uh, I, with medical schools, they don't the curriculum doesn't change that much. Um, but there is some variation on like what a certain school will emphasize over other, other things like here, you know, we do have the PAs in our classes with us. So I think that's, you know, a big advantage. Um, we also get into clinicals, um, almost half a year earlier than other schools. Uh, we also take step one, our third year, not our second year. So we have that kind of that clinical background before we take step one. So just being informed about that. And it sounds like there's a lot more variety in the PA programs. So um, just looking into all the, don't just look into one school and say, I don't like that. I guess kind of look into all sorts of things and kind of get to know the healthcare field and all the different, you know, cause we're not, we're not even really talking about like nurse practitioner or yeah. like any, anything else. Um, there's so many pathways, uh, even an MD that I didn't know of before coming here yeah. that there's just so many options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one thing I, I, I realized I didn't even think of covering, but um, now that I've thought of it, I have to, uh, <laughs> what about, so, so we've talked a little bit about the step exam. We've talked about, um, pans, uh, which is always pronounced pants to me. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's, yep. Okay. Uh, what, what, um, so, so I know for MDs, you've got step one, you've got step two, um, clinical skills and clinical knowledge, mm-hmm. which are two separate exams. Um, you've also got step three. I think there's even more after that, right? Are there more? I only know step one and step two. Uh, once you start your residency, there oh. will be, uh, more. more Emma's ex- like, well, <laughs> I'm taking one yeah. step at a time. <laughs> yeah. Literally step one. Like one honestly, step. I have no idea I was getting myself. Each day at a time, no. each week at a time. I think there is like every 10 years you have to get recertified mm-hmm. by board or something. I don't know. How, do, how does that work out for PAs? Is there a similar... I think it's the same. So we'll take something called the PAN-RE, which is the Physician Assistant National Recertifying Exam. And I believe it has now been changed to every 10 years. I think it used to be every seven. Yeah. And there was a lot of kickback about that, especially um, for people that have been in a specialty for 10, 15 years. If you've been in ortho for 15 years and then you have to go back and now answer derm questions. You know, yeah. that's like that's that's one yeah. of the big differences is that when a physician assistant recertifies, that exam covers everything. Whereas mm. like an MD student, when they're doing their like board recertifications, it's for that field they did their residency mm. in. So I have heard advice from some PAs like spend a few years in general practice. Make sure you don't forget all that stuff because you're going to need it again for the recertifying exams. Okay. <laughs> well, all right. Again, thank you for helping clear up some some issues hopefully uh listener whoever you are um got uh, something out of that um if you have other questions that um that we can clear up for you we'll be happy to hear from you at the shortcodes at gmail.com or at 347 um a while back on the show we made fun of made for tv products and for that i deeply don't apologize <laughs> uh, but some products you see on tv actually have some medical usefulness like the humble Defecation postural modification device. Oh, Ooh, I have one. Yeah. I do too. Oh yeah, Doctor Hoffman, one of our anatomy <laughs> teachers, like totally talked them up and then told us to go watch this video about like a unicorn pooping. Yeah, yeah. And I bought one. <laughs> yeah, we got a couple in our house. Uh, <laughs> just a full disclosure. Um, 
Yeah, these are, uh, I, did, I did not know there was a name for them. I mm -hmm. thought that people would just put their feet up on stools and was like, hey, this worked out pretty well. Um, yeah, th but uh, they were recently studied at the Ohio State University. Um, I don't think they'd ever really been studied before. But uh, 52 medical residents and their partners were surveyed about their toileting habits. They logged every bowel movement they had for two <laughs> seconds. You know, how could I not <laughs> do that? Um, quite a few admitted to symptoms of constipation, straining, bloody stools, incomplete emptying. Um, and then they were equipped with squatty potties. The results, Emma, you'll be happy to know. 90% of subjects strained less, 71% had faster bowel movements, and fewer people felt incomplete after they uh, did their business. Um, I feel vindicated, personally. <laughs> I don't know about you, Emma. I kind of feel like it's one of those things that's like, deep down, you know, you're not sure if this is actually helping, but like you do it anyways, because it makes you feel better about yourself. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like the flossing. Our squatty, <laughs> yes. Our squatty potty has significantly elevated our, uh, our sense of self, yeah. <laughs> our uh, <laughs> feeling of competence. But um, I will say that now that we've taken anatomy... Knowing what we know about anatomy, it all makes sense. Does it make yeah, sense? It, yeah, it sense. makes it makes complete sense. All right. Well, that's good. Yeah, the squatty potty. Um, I was I first saw it on Shark Tank a while back, and then it's been in like ahead of the curve. There you were. <laughs> well, I saw it. My brother likes Shark Tank, so he watches that, and I think I saw it in passing. But it wasn't until our anatomy professor pulled up the like ad for it um, during one of our lectures and was like, just go home and watch this. <laughs> and I was like, just try it. Did he admit to, to any sort of conflict of interest? Any? Uh... No, mm -hmm. no. I mean, so they are, they are, the I way, feel a little not pricey. A sponsor. They, they are a little pricey. Um, if you go for like the brand, I don't know if yeah, there's off brands now. You don't need to go for you, the brand. I mean, you can literally use like a box, just yeah. like anything, to raise your legs up a little yeah. bit. Um, and it has like levels, like you can add a, like a top piece to it. Oh, like, I didn't. That's yeah, the fancy yeah. One. There's levels. Um, travel ones too. I yeah, I will lot. say if you ever have anyone over to your house or your apartment <laughs> or anything, um, it will be brought up <laughs> if they have to use your restroom. It just it's okay. something that will be mentioned. Um, but honestly, I feel like. A lot of times we don't want to talk about that kind of thing, but honestly, like that can change. Like, I mean, it can. Okay, edit it that part out. But it can no, seriously. Not editing that. It can. It can, it can make a big difference. Life. I mean, the study showed that it was it was pretty significant. Like, I mean, eighty to ninety percent. Yeah, that's over, like a, through all that's the categories, yeah. um, and that's an intervention most. Uh, uh, people studying treatments would just dream about. It, yeah. Well, and they specifically brought up like people who, um, ha, you know, have, um, problems with hemorrhoids and, you know, where it, that could, that could make a, a big difference in someone's, um, quality yeah. of life. Like that's, you know, if you can cut back on flare ups, like that would be great. I mean, you probably, <laughs> this isn't probably what you had in mind when you brought this up, but like, I, I, I never I know what I have in mind when I bring yeah. this up, you know, like I just, that's what you guys are here for. I had a question. Well, did it say like the average age? Um, yeah, these were residents and I think they did say something about the average age, but they weren't, you know, or like the age range. Cause I feel like they weren't I, people like my age. They were people they were younger because yeah. I worked in like a, a assisted living, um, obviously where there's older people and a lot of them had problems with constipation, but I can't see them using squatty potties because like their toilets are actually raised. So it's even worse. Yeah. So, I don't know. I feel like, yeah. I don't it's understand. like counter, counterintuitive. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand like, the raised. I know. I guess it's they, easier to get back. Yeah. Down. So they yeah. don't have to bend down as much. But, I mean, uh, but in other countries, you know, it's a hole in the floor. Yeah. And yeah. so in those countries that's, it's not good. I've, hmm, I don't, I, I don't want to, okay. I'm just going to go for it. Okay. <laughs> I was in France once and in the, this is a long time ago, 1992, I think. And uh, in the train station in tour, there was a pit. There were squatting toilets. And let me just, I couldn't figure out what to do. <laughs> um, let's just go. Let's just end it there. I could not figure out what to do. I had to remove a more significant amount of clothing than I was used to just because I was, <laughs> I was afraid. It's just like going in the woods, right? Yeah, I don't do that. I feel like there's no. a lot of people, like a shocking number of people who have not done that. Oh. Like, 
Well, you're yeah. from, There's a shop. We're both from the northwest. Yeah, so. we're from the northwest, so it's so normal is, for yeah. us. But yeah. What? what? Like when you go like, hiking yeah, or yeah. anything outside. Yeah. Wow. Camping. Nature just, is your bathroom. Exactly. exactly. Wow. But in, in India and in Japan, you know, yeah, that's like more common. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like there's a reason that those have continued to be popular. I think it would be interesting to see a study that maybe compared, um, you know, between countries, you know, the like the occurrence rates of certain um, the conditions, conditions. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, like the rates of people, um, you know, saying that they have a problem with X, Y, Z. And if that makes a difference, depending on if they do use, um, you know, like either some sort of a stool or, you know, if if they use like the holes versus the hole in the floor versus, um, you know, really high toilet. I think that could be very interesting. This is my new metaphor for uh, going to the going to the bathroom. X, Y, Z. Do a little X, Y, Z. The researchers uh, strenuously point out that more research is needed to mm-hmm. see how uh, DPMDs can affect chronic conditions. So, mm-hmm. as you say, more work is needed to be done. Needed to be done. Good news, people. Your risk of dying of cancer has dropped significantly. Over the past 25 or so years, rates of cancer deaths have plummeted for most of the common kinds. Uh, 2.6 million fewer deaths from cancer were were recorded from 1991 to 2016 than would otherwise have been predicted. Um, And those benefits weren't from newer medicines that have become available. So the trends shouldn't change anytime soon um, because most of those medicines came into being very recently, uh, you know, within the past few years. Um, so that's amazing. Um, but you won't be surprised to know that uh, most of those of lower socioeconomic status didn't experience the same drop of 1% to 2% per year in mortality um, as other groups did. Um, but what I didn't know um, was that until the 1980s, poverty was associated with lower cancer mortality. Um, so that sort of leaves me with a question of why uh, that changed. Could it have anything to do with like cancer detection? Like maybe people of lower social SES just didn't know why <clears throat> they died. I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe they aren't getting screened because yeah. of access to different medical care. I don't know. I wonder too if it was like, you know, maybe back in the day only rich people could afford cigarettes and other mm. more mm. toxic yeah, substances. I don't, I don't know. Well, cigarettes have gotten more expensive now, at least taxing. The taxes on cigarettes have got become more expensive. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, right. for sure. Um, but people still find ways to afford them. I, mean, I could definitely see it um, being something like Emma was suggesting, where the cause of death was just unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas uh, people at the higher socioeconomic um, you know, status were able to go and seek out health care. And, um, you know, they their stomach hurt. They were able to find out, oh, I have cancer. I have stomach cancer. That's why my stomach's hurting. Yeah. Whereas, you know, that people of lower socioeconomic status may not have had that luxury to go and mm-hmm. actually get the health care and be diagnosed. Moving on. Speculation about the fate of the Chinese scientist who claimed to have used CRISPR to genetically engineer... This is my favorite topic these days. To en- gen- genetically engineer two embryos that were then brought to term and born continues. Uh, He Zhangkui got everyone's DNA in a bunch when he made the remarkable claim that his efforts to edit out a gene that makes people susceptible to HIV resulted in twin babies. After an international outcry and then a presentation at a genetics ethics conference, he disappeared for a little while. Last week, we reported that he'd resurface under what appeared to be house arrest at his home university. This week, several scientists speculated that he'd be put to death. Which I thought yeah. was maybe, I don't know, a bit of an overreaction. <laughs> I don't know. They tend not to go straight for death, but I'm not the Chinese government. <laughs> Um, because of his violations of international ethics standards. Uh, But the man himself told a colleague by phone uh, recently he was, quote, actually doing quite well. He says he's spending his time reading, talking to colleagues, defending himself from critics, but that he's only staying at the university's apartment by mutual agreement. And he he and his wife can come and go as they please. So, you know, our friend Hu doing all right, sounds like. Let's get back to the whole NDPA thing. Let's have a little, let's have a little contest. What do you say? I love contests. <laughs> uh, we'll still be, we'll still be friends after yeah. this. So. Yeah. 
According to this random trivia page I found on plentyfun.com, got some, some questions to ask you. Uh, you'll work in teams, MDs versus PAs, and whichever team has the most right answers at the end wins. <laughs> Katie. Or so it's like trivia? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I don't like content. Do you, uh, I'm bad at trivia. <laughs> do you have a topic or you're just going to go? Uh, I'm just going to have some questions for have some questions. All right. <laughs> some things that, you know, but they're multiple choice. So oh. if you're good mm -hmm. at standardized tests, which you probably might be. No. <laughs> you, guys are you guys are better at it than a lot of people. All right. Let's the first question. How much time on an on average does a person spend kissing in his or her lifetime? Is it A, 200,160 hours? Is it B, 20,160 hours? Is it C, 2160 hours? Or D, it depends on the size of the person's lips. Can you repeat the oh, answer? D is almost always <laughs> Whose question? So, so yeah. 20, is this the PAs or the MDs question? You're, you're going to... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, so we're, are we buzzing in? Like, yeah, yeah. You guys got to buzz in. Okay. Oh, I think I know. All right. I'm going to go with 2,100 hours. So that's about like a year-ish of like... Well, a year of like a 40-hour week. That just seems like plenty for a lifetime. <laughs> like, I mean, right. like... You know what? This is enough. <laughs> no, it's no. Like, like, you're done. <laughs> You're looking at a, a watch of some sort and you're like saying, yeah. by the time you're 80, okay, no, no, <laughs> no, thank you. Too much. Uh, do you, would you? So what, you said 2160 was an option? Yeah. That seems way too specific and way too close to 2100 to not avoid it. Okay. Um, so if I've learned anything about like test taking and yes. test questions. Yes, that's what we're doing here. I'm going to go for it. What are you going to go? 2160. 2160? Well, that's, uh, it was 20,160. Oh, 20,160? Oh, can you repeat yeah. the answers? The yeah. options again? A, 2,160. 2,160. B, 20,160. C, 2,160. Or 2,160. Um, or D, it depends on the size of the person's lips. Yeah, 2,160 sounds about right. Okay, so you're agreeing yeah. then with your teammate. Yeah, I will. All right. Uh, do you uh, disagree? Maybe we don't need to buzz in. Maybe we can just do this. Do you disagree? We'll buzz I in. I feel like Stephanie had some pretty good reasoning. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I'm thinking I'm I'm a visual person, too, so it's hard for me not to see these yeah, me in front too. of me. Um, <laughs> Here, let me give you a visual. Just, <laughs> yeah. Does that help? Yeah, I mean, it sounds reasonable. All right. No, the answer is B. Oh, yeah. Oh, 20,160 20, hours. 20,000 wow. hours of kissing? Yeah. That's How, wait, an insane. Is this amount. an average, you said? Yeah. <laughs> so this is just showing she was like how Emma was basing it on her personal experience. <laughs> this is yeah, just showing how our life is and um, our priorities. Uh, by the way, pro tip: twice as many adults turn their heads to the right as to the left when they kiss, according to a 2003 study in Nature. So important things being studied in nature. All right. <laughs> yeah, how do they measure these things? Like, have somebody yeah. watch you or self-reporting? I don't know. As I said, it was from these are from some random <laughs> website I found on Plenty Fun. It's it has to be self-reporting, yeah. and people will always inflate that answer. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> All right. Question number two: How many? Remember, buzz in. We need buzzers. I don't have. Buzzers. We just smack the table. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, uh, just buzz. Just say me. Okay. Uh, how many calories does sex burn? A, 85 calories. B, 45 calories. C, 205 calories. D, 185 calories. Or E, who cares? What was D? 185. Oh, these are all close together. <laughs> I'm going to say 85. Well, let's right. see. What, we... what do you think? 185 or 85? 85. Oh, I think it's 185. All right. Well, we've got a disagreement on the MD team that needs to be resolved. Did you want to? Yeah, we. Um, so one of our professors told us how many calories are burned in a mile. Mm -hmm. So in a mile, on average, you know, between seven, to eight minutes burns 130 to 180 calories per person. Uh -huh. So if you're considering how long something like sex lasts, <laughs> <laughs> on average, I don't really know what that is. I'm going to just take a guess and go with the one hours. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the one eighty five oh, if that yeah. was the option. Mm, I would agree with that. Okay. Uh, no, the answer is eighty five calories. Oh, we, we still got a point. <laughs> Good job. Um, yeah, I remember reading somewhere that it's less than less than they first advertised. Like hmm. I remember it being like some ridiculous number, like three hundred calories or something. And yeah, that's the and number. And they were like, yeah, no. A lot of people hung their hat on that. Uh, I feel like I had good logic behind that, but yeah. You know, yeah. You know. Evidence based. I guess it's very, it varies. <laughs> Definitely varies. Yeah. Uh, research from the University of Groningen, wherever that is, shows that those who wear socks during lovemaking in an MRI machine are 30% more likely to achieve orgasm. How do you agree? <laughs> how do you get someone to agree to do that in an MRI machine? Uh, I've been asking that question myself for years. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. Very question. interesting. I think they were doing a study of something to do with. Apparently. Love. <laughs> All right. Uh, how much time, question number three, how much time on average uh, does a person spend in the bathroom in a lifetime? Maybe, yeah, with their squatty potty. <laughs> uh, is the answer A, 80 days, B, six years, C, three years, D, nine years, or E, 20 years? <laughs> I feel like with the advent of smartphones, it's definitely gone up. <laughs> oh, that's true. For you know, sure. it's like who doesn't like immediately open your social media and other internet, play websites? a couple games. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wait, also, is it including like people doing makeup and like their Ooh. hair just in the bathroom? Because like I'm, women I might be higher than men. The question to be like uh, using, using the, the, solo the toilet. Using the toilet. Okay. MDT I'm, wants to yeah. buzz in with six years. All right. Let's see. Do you, you want to? So. Hmm. I was kind of leaning towards that too. Eighty days seems way too short. Oh, yeah, and Twenty years sure. seems way too long. Nine though? Mm, maybe. It's a lot of years. Maybe. <laughs> the average yeah. life is like like eighty. <laughs> <laughs> Almost a mm. an eighth of your time. <laughs> yeah, of your I would probably go with six. If if you're not including like hair, shower, all that stuff. Okay. I'm going to go with nine. Hmm. Split the PAs. Uh, well, okay. Um, I think the rules in this game have evolved since we started. <laughs> <laughs> they always do when I make up these stupid games without really thinking about them. Uh, no, the answer, in fact, is C, three years. Oh, three years? Yeah. That's not enough time in that. <laughs> <laughs> and as you alluded to, 75% of people use their phone on the toilet. So, so the setup for that question was just extra information for us. About the MRI machine. I was I there was a long pause and I thought we were starting a new yeah, question about that. Yeah, I was like, oh, true. where are we going with this? Oh no. <laughs> Never mind. Pooping in the MRI that can be, yeah. you know, that, that can be edited out too. <laughs> situation. All right. Uh next question. Question number four. Uh I'm gonna wait. So nobody got that one, right? Nobody no, said no. three years. Uh -uh. All right. Okay, next question. What does the reverse of the Nobel Peace Prize depict? Is it A, a horse, a dog, and a chimpanzee? B, a sword? C, a globe? D, three men embracing? Or E, a sleeping badger? Wait, horse, like the logo backwards? Yeah, the, the thing on the other side of the... What, what, is, what is pictured on it? Oh. oh. Horse, a dog, and a chimp? Sword? A globe? Three men embracing? Or a sleeping badger. It's probably not a sword. Hmm. Sure, yeah. I think <laughs> we want to. We like want to buzz in. It's like a sword in. with a cross, through, like a, like one of those circles with the red. Yeah. MDs MD, are buzzing in. MD team selects globe. All right. That's a it's a good guess. Oh. Oh, so it's not right. <laughs> I didn't say. I mean, you know. Valiant effort. Well, as I said, the, 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 the rules of this game have changed. Okay. And now I'm just taking everybody's answer. PA teams are also going to buzz in at this point, even though we're yeah, yeah, second. Sure. We're going to go with three men embracing. That seems very peaceful. Yes, yes. You're right. You're right. It's three men embracing. Hey. The depiction represents a group of three men forming a fraternal bond. Hmm. Give that to the PAs. Which... I was hoping it would be more inclusive. Yeah. Oh, but... <laughs> it's a little bit sad. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're working on it. You know, there's three of them, so it's it's going to be an odd number either way. And well, you know. <laughs> All right. Question number five How many pairs of underwear do men buy in a year on average? 
A, 3.4, B, 6.4, C, 8.4, D, 19, E, the number is too small to determine with any statistical confidence. Is this men buying for themselves or someone mm. buying for them? I think it's men. But how many do men buy? How many? Let's, let's so, interpret this question. How many new pairs oh. of underwear do men for themselves purchase? Oh, okay. They come in six. So they come in packs. Right? Right? They do or come in. No, there's three packs. Packs of three. Mm. There's three, six, eight, nine, and I'm pretty much leaning towards. From personal experience, the number is too small to determine with any statistical significance. I mean, most men that I know don't really care so true. that much about their underwear selection. It's so true. It's so true. Men will like wander around with like a waistband, you know, like the rest of it's like shreds, you know. Yeah, like MD I'm, team is gonna buzz in, uh, give them the benefit of the doubt and say like six point four. Okay. Um no, the answer, in fact, is A, 3.4. So not quite as bad. As I knew it was going to be between those two things. It was either going to be none or the lowest yeah. number possible. That's pretty damn bad. Uh, a 2008 yeah. survey revealed, revealed that 9% of men in America have underwear that is at least 10 years old. Wow. So. Yeah, not that bad, but, you know, I can see how some men would go that far. Yep. It's uh, not on our radar. Yeah. I don't know. Men, men, have, <laughs> men have should really men should you know refresh more often. I'm gonna say that. Uh, which animal? Last question. Which animal is known to kill more people than plane crashes? Is it Ooh. A. Bears, B. Pigs, C. Rats, D. Donkeys, or E. Baby bunnies? Buzzing with pigs. Oh, good. Really? Okay, that's an interest. That's good. All right, very good. You guys have a counter so it was i will point bears, out at this point pigs, that there's a tie one oh so it's this uh, oh so i probably yeah. should have taken time see i was thinking like the quick you know get but, it. so bears so cows are not an option here cows are not an option. So bears pigs donkeys baby bunnies don't forget rats and rats. rats i mean rats spread disease they do are, are we counting that um i don't have information mm. on that oh <laughs> See, I was thinking like physically. Mm, <laughs> and yeah. I mean, like if you go to the Iowa State Bear, world's largest pig is, or yeah, Iowa State Fair. Did I say that right? You said no. bear. 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 Oh, I wow. didn't realize we had a bear. Can we edit that out? <laughs> I didn't realize we had a bear. If we go to the I, if you go to the Iowa State Fair, there is a world's largest pig that tends to be in the thousands of pounds range, and if that falls on you. But True, but how often are pigs plummeting from the sky? Yeah, and you'd have to be but like, if you, like trip, under it. <laughs> if you like are in the pit and you trip and they they, they tip over, you. they trample, and you're like, I know it can be very dangerous. Um, just well, farming pigs, is a very dangerous um, because if you do fall, like they will eat you. Oh my but, so, but rats. I know that, but it could like be rats. Yeah, because a lot I of people mean, do like, research with. But rats. think about exposure. You know, how many people okay. are really supposed mice, to mice? But a lot of people I mean, do research with mice. So we're, we're thinking about, okay, so, you know, do you want to switch? <laughs> what do you think? I feel like we should stick with our gut decision, which is pick like, your gut decision. <laughs> I feel like it, it could be rats if we are considering that they give people diseases, but I don't know. That's a good argument. I don't know. What do donkeys do to people? I mean, I mean they, they can kick, kick their legs. They can kick yeah. I just don't yeah, know how many kick, people like, have donkeys, you know? Like, yeah. Maybe more than have pigs, though. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> and then, re and then we talked about this last semester. Instead of studying for an exam, which we should have been about bear attacks. Yeah, and bear attacks are not not, not as that frequent. common. Yeah, no. Yeah. So we don't. Yeah, I I would. If you wanted to go with rats, I'd join well, with you. Yeah, let's I guess go with rats. because we're tied. And we, we don't to want to have the same answer. Yeah, we'll, we'll stick with pigs. Okay. Uh, no, the answer is donkey. <laughs> You can pull out a victory here with this bonus question. <laughs> what are the terms for a boy donkey or a girl donkey? Uh, can I say this? Yeah, no one. Yeah. Can you say this? Yeah, the one that comes to mind is... Like ass? Yeah. yeah. But that's a baby donkey. No, no, no. But... No, that's... <laughs> 
<laughs> Such a cute little ass. Um, is no, it, no, no. It, is it mule? That's just a generic term for a, or a another mule. Is a mule is a, a, a mule? cross between a horse yeah, and an animal. animal. Okay. Is it a mare for the female? Like for not horse? according to plentifun.com. Mm. Mm. I don't think you're going to get it. Probably not. I know I'm not. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I'll just consider that as a the time is up. A boy donkey is called a jack. Oh. See, well, that's why I was. A girl donkey is called a Jenny. Hey, Jack. Oh. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that leaves you tied. Both, See, we're all winners. Both teams yeah. Tied. yeah. yeah. Teamwork. Both it was intentional. And you're both yeah. amazing. <laughs> in uh, both teams are amazing in my eyes. And uh, I want to thank you for being on the show today. No, thank you. <laughs> thank you for and, having us. Yes. And thank you, listeners, for making us a part of your week. If you like what you heard today, please leave us a review on, uh, you know, iTunes or whatever, you know, wherever you want to leave us a review. That would be fantastic. And hopefully you'll subscribe to the show. If you'd like to uh, send in a question, you can do that at theshortcodes at gmail.com or by calling 347-SHORT-CT. And uh, we love to hear your questions because it means that I don't have to do as much work for the show and we can talk about what you want to talk about. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College Medicine Student Government and the Writing and Humanities Program. Our executive producer is Jason Lewis. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox and our Closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. Bye.